Hey everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. Now, our lineup hasn't changed. My name is Dan Roselle and I'm joined by John Fisher. Hello, John. Hello, Dan. Uh, our, like I said, our lineup hasn't changed. It's been uh, the two of us no. since day one. Um, you know, we're, we're tenured at this point with the with the squad, but uh, a couple of things have changed about the Devils lineup, and it's a couple of moves that one of them we definitely saw coming, and one of them was a complete surprise, but... You know, in retrospect, it's not that surprising. And, of course, I'm talking about the big trade that has ushered in the official beginning of the new era of New Jersey Devils hockey. Now, we've said that it's a new era many times before with coaches, whatever, but we just um, saw the Devils trade away the last remaining member of that 2012 Cup run, um, and that was Travis Zajac. And he joins Kyle Palmieri, Andy Green, Corey Schneider, and Lou Lamorello over in Long Island as they chase a Stanley Cup with a very formidable Islanders team. And what did the Devils get for their trouble? Well, let's view it this way as two separate trades. For Kyle Palmieri, they received a first rounder, which given how the Islanders are doing, will probably be somewhere in the uh, 20 to 30 range. And for Travis Zajac, they received a conditional fourth-round pick that becomes a third-round pick if the Islanders were to make the Stanley Cup final. So I know there were a lot of mixed feelings about this trade. I do know that there's you know mixed feelings about how to determine the value of that asset, um, the first-rounder, which is the highlight of this deal. There are two prospects included as well, um, yeah. but, but they were just— Prospects is a stretch. Yeah, they were just kind of throw-ins. They're career AHLers so far. Uh, one's 27 with no indication that he you know, will break through. And the other one has some NHL experience with Colorado. And, um, you know, I even forgot their names right now. Miles or something. Jope? Nope. Mason Jopes. Mason Jopes. And uh, AJ Mason Greer. Jopes. That's the two of them. Yep, Mason Jopes. He was the – he's the – older of the two who has not seen the NHL since being signed by the Islanders out of Ohio State. And A.J. Greer was a second-round pick of the Avalanche in 2015. He appeared in, I want to say, 29 games across three seasons two seasons ago, meaning he hasn't been in the NHL since his last appearance for over two years. Was he in a Devon Taves trade? Is that how he got to the Islanders? He might have been, yeah. Actually, yes. That's how he uh, came over because he was acquired – in October of 2020, so that would be around when the Taves deal was done. Yeah, and again, those two prospects are not really the key pieces here. The key piece is that no. first rounder, and uh, again, there's speculation, and you know, I tend to believe Pierre Maguire, and not Pierre Maguire, oh my god, Pierre Lebrun, sorry, not Maguire, yeah. I never believe Pierre Maguire, but Pierre Lebrun um, seemed to say that the marketplace was saying that uh, if the Devils had waited to make this deal later, they probably wouldn't have been able to get a first-round pick from anyone. So it does have some mm-hmm. value. And again, for the season Paul Mary was having, a first-round pick for him is pretty good, even if it is somewhere in the 20s. Um, the Zajac trade was surprising, just given how much he had been adding to the Devils um, and how much he had been contributing to getting the young guys up to speed. But it's on them now. The veterans are all gone, um, you know, except for the ones on one-year deals. Or in Subban's case, he has, you know, one extra year on top of that. Um, the mm-hmm. oldest forward right now is Miles Wood or Andreas Janssen, which is also crazy. Poor Nikita oh, well, Gusev. Yeah, but he's taxi you already squad. forgot about Gusev. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah. I mean, squad. like he is. He's he's also not sticking around. Right. So <laughs> the oldest forward is somewhere around 25 years old. The Devils are. This is it. Like, this new era has arrived, and who knows if Zajac or Palmieri will come back. I know, you know, there's obvious strong ties to the team, but we're not planning around, uh, you know, re-signing a veteran with this kind of timeline on the team now. 
And no, so, John, absolutely. what are some of your thoughts on the value that um, Fitzgerald was able to recoup for these two players who, I just want to make it clear, they're not just assets. They exemplified everything that a Devils player is. They exemplified you know, everything New Jersey wants its team to represent. These two guys came in here, you know, Palmieri, especially with ties to the area, was big in the community. Zajac obviously has, you know, established his life here and has often said that he's going to come back to New Jersey no matter where he ends his career. So besides the sentimental value, how do you feel about the trade? Well, as I wrote uh, when I saw it uh, yesterday evening when it happened, um, my initial reaction was that I'm very underwhelmed by, it. I understand this market isn't very mm-hmm. good for moving picks, but logic would say that if you're a contending team like the Islanders or the Bruins or the Leafs, and those are, I, I named those two teams cause they were apparently pretty big in on Palmieri is that they should be willing to give up first round picks. This, this draft class is going to be more volatile than any I can remember in recent memory, if only because most of your mate, you know, most of the leagues have are in incongruent schedules. You've had teams that have been inactive. You've got players playing in places that they don't normally play in. Everybody's been playing sort of an off, you know, schedule. So you don't have the access to the prospects. And oh, yeah, the OHL still hasn't even played a single game yet. So, you know, if there's a draft where you, if you want to throw away a first rounder to get that piece to go over the top, to go for it, so to speak, this is the season to do that. And, you know, I understand that Fitzgerald got that vaunted first, but I, I, you can't convince me that if he waited another day or so, he could have swung a slightly better deal than what he got. This is one of those deals where if this was the best deal available at 2.30 p.m. on April 12th, I would have said, mm-hmm. fine, it's the best deal that you got. Five days before the deadline, you can't convince me, no matter what LeBron says, that – you know, this was the best the Devils were going to get. And you're, you're not privy um, to the discussion, so maybe it is. But Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but, especially for your again, point that it's a volatile draft, wouldn't you want to emphasize quantity then? Well, it, the thing I would want quantity for, if you want my, you know, 900 IQ big brain uh, play, if I were Fitzgerald, is I wouldn't demand a first for this season. Mm-hmm. I would demand a first for the 2022 mm-hmm. draft class because that draft class is already getting hype mm-hmm. now. And that's not even a year ahead of time. Like there's already people drooling over the top picks then. And if and if it's with the Islanders, you know, the word on the Islanders is that we know their their window is only going to be open for a couple seasons. For all we know, it's it, this is it. Like this is their time mm-hmm. to shine. If they don't get it, they start falling through the cracks. You know, the goaltending stops being amazing. The defense stops being amazing. You know, like a lot of things in life, one thing crumbles and then another thing crumbles. And the next thing you know, you got a mess. And uh, that 2022 first would be a potentially better one than the one they're probably going to get for this year. But, I mean, I see your point about getting quantity. But, again, you know, good luck to the scouts of any of these teams (laughs) to figure out, like, who's worth taking at any point in this draft, especially since this first rounder this late first rounder might as well be an early second and i know we always um, say they could like not keep the pick too because they always seem to have a lot these days but i'd say in terms of a trade asset that's already more valuable than any other pick they can get true i mean yeah if they can move the first for something else that gives them some flexibility personally if it were me i would also prefer pushing for a Mm -hmm. player preferably a defenseman Mm -hmm. An actual prospect, maybe not like a top-level prospect because you weren't going to get that for Palmieri and Zajac given the seasons they're having. But if you could find the, I guess, the defenseman equivalent of Nolan Foote, 
you know, I would have preferred that over the pick just because the Devils, you know, they don't need young forwards. They have a lot of young forwards. Um, so, you know, go ask for a defenseman or even a goaltender for that matter. You know, beef up the other end of your uh, pipeline, so to speak. So this way, if you're going to keep building on the youth in this seemingly eternal rebuild mm-hmm. since uh, 2015, you know, those are the areas you want to beef up since, you know, Riley Walsh, Kevin Ball, um, Nikita Okotyuk. I had a blank for a moment because I just heard his name. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Vukajevic, you know, they're all they're all darts at, at, at this point in their careers. You know, we, I hope they hit. I want them to hit. You want them to hit. The people who matter want them to hit. But history has shown us they don't always hit. So go out and get some, you know, if you can get that other defenseman prospect to help beef up a Bingman team that surely needs something resembling defense. Um, you know, I would have preferred that than, you know, holding out for a first a conditional fourth that could be a 2023 four, third rounder at best, and 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 AJ Greer and um, Mason Jobst who are going to be nobodies um, for the Devils. So you know, but the deal was done. You know, you can't cry over spilt milk, Dan. So I have to ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot, Dan. Who is the next, if anybody? Who is the next to be traded from the Devils? The next to be traded from the Devils is most likely going to be Dmitry Kulikov, just based on the fact that he's had an incredible season for the value that he brings. And I think the value is a big component of it, too, because he is making not very much money, and he could be oh. very helpful as a depth defenseman for a contending team, uh, just if he continues to play the way he has all year. You know, when he was coming into the season, we had certain stats on him, and he has exceeded every single one of those expectations so far as a member of the New Jersey Devils. So I think, <clears throat> sorry, in terms of the actual um, assets that would be attractive to anyone, I don't think Gusev goes anywhere. I think no. Kulikov and Votnin could potentially go somewhere. Kulikov way more likely in my eyes. And the Devils clearly started Aaron Dell uh, against Buffalo to showcase him as well. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that we're in a world where Arundel might be traded since the Devils acquired him off of waivers mm-hmm. uh, for the cost of zero. Um, but well, he, um, he did you know, become the f- no one oh, ever. Said, no one, no one ever said we live in a perfect world. <laughs> yeah, so you know, with all those assets, how will the Devils approach the deadline on the ice? Well. First, the last game with uh, Zajac on the roster because Palmieri was held out against the Buffalo Sabers. Mm-hmm. It took place at home. Um, uh, let me just let me just I kind of add, uh, I, I want to just loop these two games together because they felt incredibly similar. And the Devils won one and lost one. They well, uh, lost on Tuesday five to three, and they won on day of recording Thursday six to three. So it was kind of like. The end of the game is just the only shift that happened. As the Devils were pretty dominant in both contests, the Devils looked really dynamic offensively. Hughes was everywhere, and you know he finally broke the seal, as it were, today, getting a goal and two assists. His line with Sharon Govich and Kwakanen was everywhere. Buffalo had zero yeah. answers for the three of them today, and they, you know, the three of those guys were rewarded for it. But it was, you know, equally as relieving to see Jesper Boquist's late goal today as it was deflating to see, you know, the third Rasmus score for Buffalo on Tuesday. Yeah. Darlene. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's sad that Zajac's mo- last major moment as a New Jersey devil was him trying to go for a home run chip during a penalty kill to try to knock the puck past Darlene mm-hmm. fails. So he's behind the play. Zach is behind the play. 
And Darlene just kind of rips a shot past uh, Wedgwood for a power play goal that put the Sabres up 4-3. And, you know, they never looked back in that one. And that game, Dan, Tuesday's game, you know, as much as I'm a big proponent of the on-ice stats, you know, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you, Dan, with some okay. stats here. The Devils outshot the, the Sabres 10-4 in a third period that was 3-3. And they lost that game 5-3. So the Sabres scored 50% on their shots. At that point, you almost have to say, I don't care how many more shots the Devils had. You got bodied. Yep. And you got bodied because of your own stupid mistakes, which occurred throughout those four goals against, whether it was somebody losing a faceoff and forgetting about Brandon Montour or, you know, somebody coughing up the puck badly. Wedgwood had a bad game, I will also point out. This was actually one of the few games we could honestly say where the goaltending did not hold up. And I would actually argue the same for tonight's game. And again, that contributed to what we saw in the special teams end of things, too, as the Devils uh, surrendered, I believe, power play goals in each game, um, but also scored a couple of their own. Yes, Buffalo's power play is like the one thing about them that is not like bottom tier in this mm. league. Like their power play is like legitimately a decent power play and the Devils did not heed those lessons. Uh, but the Devils did score power play goals, which has been remarkable since they have been bad and unfortunate to have not scored. They finally ended an 0-16 run on Tuesday night with a banger at the last second mm. <laughs> by Brot at the front of the net. So you finally get that power play goal. And the Devils go up 3-2, and then, like so many other games against better hockey teams, the Devils blow that one away. And I'm salty. You were probably salty. The people who matter were very (laughs) salty. Personally, it was my birthday, Dan. And I don't want to say the game ruined my birthday because, you know, I had time with my son, and it was an otherwise relaxing and lovely day outside. But it wasn't a good evening. Yeah. And And it's like you literally gave half half of Buffalo's wins this season. Yeah, so it ends up that four out of eight of, um, you know, Buffalo took four out of the eight games and they have nine total wins. So, yeah, exactly. Half their wins Mm -hmm. are coming against the one team in their division that they're actually remotely comparable to. But even still, the Devils essentially ran it back. They they said, you know, no Zajac, no Palmieri, as there was already no Palmieri. Um, But they really just kind of just ran the same thing and hope for different results. And they got different results as Hughes, like I said, finally mm-hmm. broke the scoring drought. Um, Jesper Boquist got his first goal of the season at a extremely crucial time. And Pavel Zaka scored two consecutive power play goals. It was the, the box score showed the same exact thing twice, a minute and 40 seconds apart. Mm-hmm. PPG Zaka from Brat and Smith or Smith and Brat. That was the order. It was primaries for, um, Smith, I believe. And that all being said, the Devils, for the first time this season, scored two power play goals in a single game, which is hard to believe, but it is true. Yeah, and it's, again, it really highlights how bad the power play has been this season, because if you read my month in review post, the Devils have had a lot of power play opportunities. Like, they draw calls. It's not a case of they don't get calls. They get them. They just don't do anything with them. Well, But I was very happy to see in the first period of this game, the Devils were actually set up. They made good passes. They took good shots. And, you know, first goal for Zaka was a put back. So it tied up the game. That was good to see. And the second one was a shot from the opposite wing where he just took a really good shot. It was actually two good power plays in a row that yielded goals, 
you love well, to see. When you put the first unit out there, they look markedly different than the second, as the second one still looks right. entirely ineffective. But that first one with Jesper Brad on it, I've been saying it all year, put him on the power play. And yeah, he might lose the puck on the occasional carry in, but he also is probably one of the best passers on the team. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that could stack up to, you know, his skill play at least in the offensive zone no. and so when he's there he's getting assists on that power play and Zaka is putting goals in and those two goals were very important because that power play had a chance to really take the devils further out of it as they had given up a goal 53 seconds into the game but you know yep. imagine they miss on both of those power plays uh they don't get anything out of them then the momentum flips entirely in buffalo's favor but here the devils were able to kind of stop the bleeding and take control of this game as um you know the the big deal got his first one at the end of that period and uh yep it was probably a worse opportunity than he had had earlier in the week but it was still just nice to see it go in for him and he you know he needed that yeah he did. And and if you want an example of why, you know, I've not been worried about Hughes, like watch that goal again. Like he actually gets the pass in the slot, which is where you would want anybody to take a shot from. Like there's a reason why the slot is important. He actually loses the puck to a defender. Now, the defender never actually collected the puck. It just was not free. But Hughes F put in the effort to win the puck back and then just rip it. He didn't think he didn't overstate it. He didn't try to figure out where Linus Olmark is. And keep in mind, Dan, Linus Olmark has been a real thorn in the Devils' mm -hmm. side this season. Like, you know, Tuesday's game was like the first game, I want to say, where the Devils really, like, lit him up a couple times. And, of course, they did not beat them. But tonight was a different story. Hughes rips it in, and now it's 3-1, and you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling okay. And the Devils were starting off the second period really well. They were tilting the yep. ice. And then, Dan, what Then uh, Pavel Zaka takes a penalty. Uh, he took a penalty took a on, penalty. you know, he was seconds before that. He almost got his third goal of the night. And um, on the way back, he lost the puck and needlessly interfered with someone. There were two defensemen back there. And I don't know that he actually it had was, to get uh, away. Yeah, it was Fogarty who he technically interfered with. That's at least what the box score yep. says. And so then the Sabres scored a power play goal. And all of a sudden, it is not as secure, especially because the Sabres end up getting another one via Jeff Skinner, who has two goals in six contests against the Devils this year and two goals in 28 contests against every other team in the NHL. Yeah, and, and what's frustrating about both of these is not just the fact that Buffalo found a way to get back into the game and the Devils blew a yet another multi-goal lead in the process, but, you know, the guys that we're talking about, guys being potentially traded, like Votnin, Kulikov especially, and Murray, like, both Thompson and Skinner scored from, like, right in front of Dell. Now, Dell did not play a very good game. Dell gave up some really juicy rebounds. It looked like he was fighting pucks. He looked like a guy who hasn't played in over a month, Dan. Because he hasn't played in over a month. <laughs> exactly. I may may or not be a criticism at, you know, goaltending rotation, but whatever. But in both plays, the defensemen, especially Kulikov, did not acquit themselves right right then and there. And I understand that some Devil fans, you know, lament the lack of a net front presence and big size physical play. It's like you don't need to be a big hulking dude made of muscle to do the right thing in those plays. It was just be there and put a stick on the guy or at least body him up a little bit. You don't have to, you know body him up like, you know, it's an action movie and you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, you just have to be in their way. That's what good defense is. And on both of them, especially the Skinner goal, like, Murray and Kulikov have, like, 
are acting like there's a force field around mm-hmm. the man. Like, come on, man, just just get in their way and you stop the play. And and of course, I'm especially salty about this because, again, these are the sorts of, as Bryce Salvador called it during the intermission, you know, the little details where the Devils keep failing at that keep costing them games. And it cost them on Tuesday night. And I was afraid that 3-3, um, the Devils were basically going to throw away a game with two power play goals from Pavel Zaka and the first goal from Jack Hughes at, in a very long mm-hmm. time. And, but and then, then the third period started, you know, relatively even, but the Devils, I would say, still had a lion's share of the um, the good chances and oh, the lion's share of the did. possession yeah. of the puck, too. They also had a lion's share of the yep. shots. The third period ended 11-2 to Oh, and the shots. face-offs, I was actually by the way. Surprised. Through two periods, the Devils had won two-thirds of the face-offs in the game. Yeah, but more more great. important than that is that it looked like it looked like the Sabers were you know setting up, but it looked like the that's all the Sabers could do was set up for opportunities that they never actually put on net. Like they only had seven attempts in all situations, and you know normally I would say that's great, but then again I saw Tuesday's game where the Devils did very similar to that and lost that game. So I, w- I was definitely on edge, thinking do not find a way to blow this. And thankfully, Jesper Bokvist. Um, finishing off a great shift from the McLeod mm-hmm. line, puts in a loose puck. It is now four to three. Yep. You could hear the elation on the ice, and it's almost like you could feel the devil sort of, for lack of a better word, unclenching their concerns. Yep. Like they were purging the worry of like, okay, guys, we didn't blow it. Now let's work to not blow from... it. And they actually did. Do the work to yeah, from work. that moment on, the Devils just completely, you know, asserted their dominance over the rest of this game. They got a power play, which oh, yeah. was helpful in killing two extra minutes um, while having a yeah. lead. But also, they managed to get an insurance goal, and that Hughes line again. It was um, a defensive miscue by Buffalo. You could actually hear them kind of screaming at each other while the play was still developing. Um, but the puck comes from Kwakanen to Hughes, who gets it to Sharon Govich, who whips it past Olmark for a 5-3 lead. And they would strike again yep. when he vacated the net as it was poked out from, guess who? Kwakanen to Hughes. Or sorry, Hughes to Kwakanen this time. Oh, no, it was Sharon Govich to Hughes to Kwakanen. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look, the important, All the three important of them thing got is a that point. <laughs> the line broke out, carried the puck out of their zone, took a good shot. They made sure they crossed the blue line. Kwakanen actually took a shot from the offensive zone, so no risk mm-hmm. of icing. Hits the back center bar, confused, every, confused the broadcasters and me thinking, oh, did he hit the post? And then it was like, no, that was the back bar. It's a goal. And um, well-deserved because that line had a fantastic yep. night in the run of play, you know, as you said earlier, you know, the devil, you know, the Sabres had no answer for them. And that's absolutely um, relevant with the five on five stats, which I'm happy to report because the devils didn't blow the game. Oh, and the, uh, the five on know, five stats for this unit are ridiculous. This game. Yeah. I would almost go as far to say, Dan, is that if Hughes, Sharon Grovich and Kwakanen were not so immediately effective, I don't think Zajac would have been mm-hmm. traded. Because Zajac's rejuvenation in the season was with those two wingers. And you could say those two wingers were helped out by having a veteran like Zajac. And they were playing well before Hughes suddenly was on their line. And he played well, too. Imagine a top six of, uh, you know, potentially you move Zaka to the wing because they tried out Boquist in the center here. You have Brat, Heischer, Zaka up top followed by Sharon Govich, who is Kwakanen, and suddenly you have a top six that's capable of holding the puck and can actually score goals. 
Yeah, and, and it's a unit, and those are players who have been effectively rewarded for their good play because, again, Brat had another good game. Hughes obviously had a very good game. Quackett and Sharon Govich had good games. Bokvist himself had a good game. Um, you know, you're appropriately, even Zaka had a better five-on-five five game than I would say the last five weeks, which is important because he was been really bad in the last yep. five weeks. But, uh, you know, he gives you power play goal, so you're not going to complain. For the most part, the only guys in five-on-five five who I felt were struggling were, you know, the, the usual, I don't want to say the usual guys, but guys like Janssen, Maltsev wasn't that impressive. I felt Tyce Thompson definitely had a come-down game after his NHL debut on Tuesday. Um, you know, credit to Thompson for getting a point in his first NHL game. You know, yep. congratulations to him. But this game, this game showed that Tage is a little further along from him. <laughs> well, yeah, considering <laughs> he has a few more games of NHL experience. <laughs> yeah, he's a little older. You know, he's a little more developed. But uh, and that's kind of unfor- for better or for worse, what the story of the rest of the season will be for the New Jersey Devils, which is giving guys like Bokvist, Thompson, Maltsev, um, and I'm sure in the near future we're going to see. Um, Merkley, um, actually, I take that back. Merkley did play tonight. I forgot that. Yeah, he, he had to go through that waivers maybe, first because uh, I think they. He, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was put on the taxi squad, so he was put on waivers. He mm-hmm. cleared, and then they brought yep. him back. So, I mean, the fact that I forgot he played, I guess, should tell you exactly how he has been playing in recent <laughs> games. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you're going to continue to see the quote unquote the fringe players get those opportunities, and I wouldn't be super shocked if we see. Um, more players get an opportunity, maybe a couple more um, in Nolan Foot. I'm sure would get a look at some point. I I swore I've seen Marion Studenich and Fabian Zetterlund get put up to the taxi squad for like a hot mm. minute. So they may be thinking about him. And on top of that, Dan, we have some international news. Yeah, there. exactly. So I meant, you know, besides those guys you mentioned and maybe Riley Walsh who could factor in because he is also sitting on an ELC right now. Um yeah. The season for Alexander Holtz's Drew Gardens team, they had a play-in game against Frölunda, which they did not win. And so now Alexander yeah. Holtz is available to sign an ELC and fly over to North America, quarantine, and maybe get into some games by the end of April, early May. Um, just some valuable experience for him to get on the ice and join the team. Uh, kind of hit the ground running in anticipation of next season. Yeah, and there was a report, and I, I, I apologize for blanking on the guy's name, but there was a report out of Sweden, you know, shortly after the elimination was, where they asked Holtz, hey, Holtz, are you done playing hockey for the season? He says, I don't think I'm done playing hockey yeah. for the season. <laughs> you know, the, the big the big sticking point is going to be, one, whether or not Holtz will have enough time to get a visa and be able to quarantine. As, as you know, I don't want to turn this podcast in a direction here, but betting on government bureaucracy has never been yeah, a good yeah, idea. Yeah. In terms of in terms of efficiency and timeliness, um, and, and point number two is going to be whether or not Holtz gets selected for the World Championships because I believe the IIHF is planning to have a World Championship mm-hmm. tournament. It is a big deal, especially in Europe, and it is an honor. And, and I imagine if Holtz does get selected to their camp, you know Holtz may be told go to the camp, go prepare, and then you can join us in regular training camp in the fall. Because part of part of Holtz's experience, you know, he ran cold. At your gardens, it didn't help that William Eklund, his partner, wingmate, and uh, wingmate, mm-hmm. linemate, and potential top pick of the 2021 draft, uh, which is now relevant to the Devils given where they are in the league standings, um, is that um, your gardens basically took the approach of, yeah, we want to win this playing game and we're not going to spend our, t- we're not going to give a lot of ice time to our young guys who are not 
you know, scoring goals. So Holtz, Eklund, sit on it, Potsy. Uh, I don't think they say that in Sweden. I don't know what what they call happy days yeah. <laughs> there. Um, yeah, that is an old, old reference. Anyways, the point is, is that Holtz was not getting the ice time or the opportunities he was getting at the beginning of this season that made you and I and every all the other people that matter go ooh and ah over. So, you know, Holtz, we'll see if Holtz gets selected for that camp in Sweden. If he doesn't, I think, yeah, I think the Devils will push to get him over. And the magic number to avoid will be seven because thanks to the truncated schedule, they've they reduced the uh, number of games you need to play to start your ELC mm-hmm. from 10 to seven. So as long as he gets in, excuse me, and appears for only six Devils games in New Jersey, that's fine. His ELC will then um, slide over to the following season and begin in earnest next season, which would be much better than burning an ELC season for what is essentially a lost 2021 for the Devils, as indicated by their trade of Palmieri and Zajac for a first rounder and parts. Yep. And so, you know, with all that, we'll anticipate Holtz's arrival. And also we have some... Uh, planning to do and some uh, recording to do for episode number 100 coming up so uh, be on the lookout for that as such we're not quite sure if we're going to just be on the same schedule for that one because it's going to take a little more effort to make it special but we'll do what we can but as always thank you for listening and enjoy the um the first look at the new era of the devils really i mean we've seen these players throughout the season but this is really the first time they were flying on their own without the um the support of the stalwarts who had been there, who had been with the organization the longest. This represents, you know, the two guys that had been there longest. I think only Wood and Severson were there longer than Paul Mary. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's a big change. It's a big jarring change. But get used to some of these younger guys because that's who we're rolling with from now on. And as always, thank you for listening. Yep. And as one final point, that's both impressive and at the same time sad. Tonight's 6-3 win over the Buffalo Sabres is the first multi-goal win <laughs> by the Devils this season since they returned from the coronavirus back on February 16th against our hated rivals, whom we will see for four straight games as the week of hate will begin on the same day of the NHL trade. And very Denmark. clever to uh, sit Blackwood in preparation for the week of hate because you know that he is going to play almost all of those games, if not all of them. Well, I want the Devils to win all four of those games. If So if it means Blackwood has to play four straight games and Blackwood, I want you to play four straight games. The devils have nothing to play for this season. So at least give me four wins in the week Mm -hmm. of eight. And, uh, Oh yeah. Just one quick one. I think I did mention this, but yeah, Aaron Dell becomes the fourth devils goaltender to win a game this season, which is the first time that they've done this since 1992, because something happened around that year where they kind of found their guy. Um, and so there wasn't really opportunity for four goalies to start games for the Devils in any given season and definitely not to win nope. games. So congratulations to him and Wedgwood and Blackwood and uh, Comrie. So there you go. That's a little fun stat about this uh, shortened season as well. All right. Enough of that. Thank you all again for listening. Uh, we've had a good time. We'll catch you next time on episode 100. Let's go Devils. Go Devils. Go Devils.